Did you know there's an estimation of 22 million Americans that have been in recovery from opiums or in other addictions? Now we say estimation because the federal government does not track recovery like they track addictions or overdose. Hey guys, I have a great show for you today. I have Jared Miller on our show today. Jared is going to be telling his story of recovery and how he's turned his story into success. Jared currently works with youth, helping them tell their recovery story and helping them overcome their addictions. And he's also been successful in starting a speaking bureau. And I'm excited to have Jared on the show, so let's get to work. You're listening to the Purpose Driven Person Podcast. This podcast is made for leaders unwilling to give up their desires to be purpose-driven. Guys, I made this show for a compass for you to have more purpose in leadership through four concepts, creation, communication, collaboration, and connection in both business and in life. My name is Matthew Leland Cox. I'm the founder of Never Give Up Youth Healing Center, Never Give Up Wellness Center, and Never Give Up Foundation. You can find me at MatthewLelandCox.com. Are you ready? Well, let's do this. Welcome to the show today. I'm so excited. We have a special guest, Jared Miller, and we're going to be talking about something that's very important in today's society, that we all struggle in some sort of way, addiction. Addiction is something that we've heard uh, throughout our life, and we always, when we hear addiction, we think of drugs. But we're going to kind of break it down, what addiction is, and Jared's going to tell us his story, what he did going through a certain addiction in his life and how he found purpose. Jared, welcome to the show. I'm so Matt Cox, you, what's going on, buddy? Oh, yeah. you know, loving Vegas down here. It's windy as heck. You might hear some wind behind me, but <laughs> nice. I, I thought the trees were going to blow over last night. <laughs> oh, hopefully not. That wouldn't be good. Then we'd have another problem besides the coronavirus, right? I know. It's going crazy. How, 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 now, you're in St. George, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here in Georgia, St. George. Utah. I'm, I'm yeah. a neighbor to you. And I just want to say real quick, like I'm a yes. super big fan. Like I'm so excited to be on here, Matt. You're a stud. Super excited to be on Purpose Driven. I follow a lot of your stuff. Like, thank you. I, I, I'm honored and humbled to be on here. Thank you. Well, appreciate it. We're excited because you, you've been doing what the whole show is about, Purpose Driven. You have an awesome story as we jump into it. But before we jump into it, tell us a little about your background so the listeners know who you are and what you've been doing. And, uh, and then we'll get, to biz- we'll get to work and talk about this big animal, the addiction. Absolutely. So I grew up in Davis County, Utah. When I grew up, I grew up, I'm, at heart, I'm a country boy, Matt. Right. So I, I grew up. Hurricane. Yeah, there you go. You understand. So we had horses when I was growing up. My dad raised raving horses. Had, honestly, the all-American childhood. Uh, came from a two-parent family, brothers and sisters, the whole nine yards. I, by the age of 22, I was the, the first person in my family to graduate with a, a bachelor's degree. They call us first generation students. I was extremely proud of that. Nice. I think that my dad kind of planted that seed in my head as a kid. He always, you know, he always would tell me one day I'm going to see you play in, in college. You know, one day I'm going to see you play at Rice Eccles. So he was really good about setting me up and, you know, basically giving me some goals and, and some aspirations in life. By the age of 24, I was a head football coach, teacher, basically living my dream out in Arizona, married, uh, had one kid, one kid on the way. And that's when life threw me a curveball. So 
within the time span of three years, uh, this is where it gets a little heavy. I experienced the death of my dad. I experienced the death of my brother. And my wife at the time asked me for a divorce. I can take accountability that due to playing college football, I was using pain medications during that time, pretty much the start of my opiate addiction. So I can take accountability for that. Ultimately, it brought me to a place where after those three traumatic incidents happened, I found myself homeless, homeless in downtown city, Salt Lake, Rio Grande district. Don't know if you're familiar. It's a pretty rough area. And, uh, July 3rd, 2014, I decided that the world would be a better place without Jared Miller in it. So I, I, my story sadly includes a suicide attempt, but you know, Matt, today I'm thankful for that day because in hindsight, that was my rock bottom. And while I was detoxing in a jail cell, because obviously I got a possession charge, you know, and the whole nine yards is the first time I'd had a conversation with my higher power. It's the first time I'd reached out and said, okay, I give up, right? Like I've tried checking out. Wasn't my time to go. What is my purpose? Like if I'm meant to be here, show me the way, lead the way, help me understand what it is I'm supposed to do. And I tell you that because that really is the beginning, the very first step in my path to recovery. Okay, one of the things is uh, Rio, let's jump back, Rio District. That is like Skid Row in Salt Lake, right? Uh, Absolutely. The homeless. And you know, since then, like, like I said, my, I, God willing, I'll get six years this summer, July 3rd, uh-huh. 2014 is what I refer to as my second birthday. And so they've really cleaned it up. But back in the day, I mean, you could get whatever you, you wanted out there faster than you could get McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, I remember pulling up, I don't want a war story too much, but I can remember pulling up and literally having people run to my car. Like it was better service than McDonald's or Starbucks, which is crazy. You know, it was, it's absolutely crazy. And I do want to give some shout outs to the Salt Lake City PD. They have done an incredible job of cleaning that up. The Rio Grande district looks nothing like it looked like six years ago. So kudos to those guys. So, so one of the things I want to ask is, you know, if I was a parent listening to you right now and thinking, man, my kid has addiction going on, um, teenager, young adult, whatever it may be, uh, what led up to the addiction? What sparked it? All those losses that you said, was, was that when you hit, when it started or did, did the addiction start in your teens? When did it start? You know, I appreciate you asking that. Through my road to recovery, I've done a lot of self-assessment mm-hmm. and I look back and I think back when I was a young student athlete and I honestly can say like I never touched drugs because I was so I always say to people the best defense is a good offense in other words if yeah. I'm focused on positive things if I'm focused on you know being involved in athletics and having a healthy social life and relationships and bettering myself then that's the best prevention possible however for me it got to a point my addiction came because I had had some sports injuries, had two ankle surgeries, mm-hmm. shoulder surgery. And during those times, like I would take a few pain medications when I really needed them. However, I was still pretty active, even up into my coaching years when I was a, a head football coach out in Arizona. But I can remember a point in time where when my dad passed away, I had a hard time sleeping. I had a lot of guilt around that. 
I went and visited my dad and we found out he was super sick. Um, he asked me to stay. And, and unfortunately, I, I couldn't because I had to get back. It was my first year as a head coach and ended up passing away three days later. And I, carry, I carried a lot, a lot, a lot of guilt for that. And so I can remember one day I was doing like some Saturday cleaning, right? And I had a shoebox in my closet. Uh-huh. And in the shoebox was the leftover pain medication from all my surgeries. You know, I kept them laying around in case I had tooth pain or, you know, whatever. Just didn't really, honestly, didn't really think about it. And sadly, I can remember thinking, if these are great for physical pain, they've got to be good for emotional pain. I remember taking them when I had surgeries and I slept like a baby. So my addiction started with just taking a couple before I went to bed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Not thinking, no, this is no big deal. Before I knew it, it was like, Anytime I had an uncomfortable emotion, anytime I experienced something that I didn't like the way it made me feel, boom, I would numb by taking them like Skittles. Yeah. I never really got crazy with it. I mean, there's tons of different ways people take them. I just would always pop them, chew them up, down them with, you know what I mean? A a drink. Yeah. Yeah, Like, but that, that is where my addiction really started. So it's interesting because a lot of people don't just think addiction just ha- it happens without you knowing. It's like this sneaky thing because uh, I remember my addiction. It was uh, just young kid was in a restaurant business for a while. And uh, by peer pressure, by people around me, they kept asking, hey, do you want to smoke this? And I kept saying, no, no. And eventually all of a sudden I found myself doing it because eventually it just it breaks it down. Like you said, pain got you there. Peer pressure got me there. I lost my dad when I was 10. He passed away. And so I was um, about 12 when this occurred. And so that addiction started and it kind of went that direction. But then it just kind of kind of kept turning. So, you know, parents always ask, and this is the thing is, how did it happen for these kids? Like you've been working with kids now. Uh, addiction is something that you turned your whole story into what you do as a journey. So what are you doing currently? I I want the listeners to hear this. This is awesome. Absolutely. So one thing that I believe like, and I know, like I know my, my name Mm -hmm. is you have a choice in life. When you go through something, you can either let it define you or you can choose to let it refine you. And that's what I've done. So today I I work in addiction. I work with adolescents Mm -hmm. that struggle with addiction problems, behavioral problems, because let's be honest, an addiction basically at the end of the day is is a thinking error. It's a behavioral problem. I think a lot of times we like to put these labels on things that are cute little labels like alcoholic, addict, you know, suicidal, but really it all falls, falls under the big umbrella of mental health. So I work basically as a recreational director or an experiential director for a, a school out here in Utah. I get, I get to do the fun stuff, right? I get to take the kids, take them rafting, take them going out mountain biking, hiking, get them out, get them active. Again, the best defense is a good offense. And really it's all about building relationships with the kids. I also have a motivational speaking bureau that I own, Miller Motivation Group. Where, yeah, where I, that's the hat right here. Yeah, yep. that's cool. Got some personal branding going on. And I promote myself as a speaker as well as, the slogan to the Miller motivation group is tragedy to triumph. Mm -hmm. So I love finding people that have gone through really hard things in their life 
And they've, again, instead of letting it define them and putting one of those cute little labels on it, they've let it refine them and they've decided to, to be the narrator of their own story and use it in a positive way. So we have Stacy Burnell. Her slogan at See Stacy Speak is failure to finisher. We have John Gossett, who was the founder of Life's Worth Living Foundation, a suicide prevention group. Oh, okay. Yeah. We've got Greg Osler, who, who is a, one of our counselors, actually, at the place that I work at. I mean, he's got degrees in all kinds of stuff. The dude has more education than I would ever know what to do with, right? He also, though, went through the death of his, it's his story, I'll let him tell it, but just to give a little brief overview. When he was an adolescent, he experienced the death of his brother, who he's extremely close mm-hmm. with, and he himself ended up in one of those wilderness programs, an adolescent youth program. Oh, wow. And again, he didn't let it define him. He ended up becoming a, a substance, substance abuse and family and marriage counselor wow. through the process. So really impressive group of people. And, and I love what I do. I, I really do. I get to work with some incredible people today. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's where I'm at. That's what and I'm the reason to. I ask this is because it's just, it's a crazy story of loss and pain going through all that stuff that you did from that day you opened that shoebox in your closet, right? Yeah. And it changed your life because you never thought you'd go down that route. I don't think any of us do. Uh, I have a brother that's a military. He he was a Marine and had a lot of pain. He 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 used those painkillers because he can never get the pain to go away. Um, he got injured. And you just, you look back on it. Everybody have asked. They've always said, hey, I never thought I'd be in this place, you know. And so it's, uh, it's really um, an interesting concept. But now kids, kids is a a big topic when it comes to addiction. So I have a lot of parents that always call me, uh, you're, you're dealing with parents and kids. Um, what would you say that helps overcome when you start working with a kid that's dabbling in addiction? Is the stem of it always pain, loss? What, what causes the addiction with teenagers? I truly believe that, it, that every single addict has some sort of underlying pain, some sort of underlying trauma, right? You don't wake up a healthy, happy kid and one day go, I'm going to decide to do drugs. And maybe there's peer pressure. And if so, they may try it. But in my opinion, trying it and having it become an active addiction Uh, is two completely separate things. So listeners, if you're a parent and you have a Mm -hmm. child who you are concerned with, one of the books that I would recommend is Childhood Disrupted. It talks Good. about the statistics behind if there's if they have a family member who's been to prison, they have a family member, you know, who who's abused substances themselves, if they have any kind of physical uh, trauma like child abuse, sexual abuse, anything like that, they're way more prone to get into substance abuse as well as suicidal thoughts, tendencies, cutting, you know, kind of those reaching, lashing out, as well as a lot of physical elements, like it affects your physical health. A lot mm-hmm. of men end up getting diseases, a lot, of, a lot of them end up having chronic health problems. And it's crazy to me, read the book, Childhood Disrupted, because it really does clearly define cause and effect. So you bring a good point up is, is so family pathology, as we call it in treatment, or the way the family was raised, is it important for parents to really open the eyes and not, not avoid it? Say, hey, is there addiction in my family? Because I know my grandpa was an alcoholic. My brother, 
he struggled with that. The one that was a Marine and um, he can't touch it, you know, cause it, it, and, and somebody else in the family could try it, but they don't get as addicted to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, absolutely. So we, we have, let's go back to you. Cause you've, you've just, the thing with addiction, everybody thinks addiction is drugs. What's your right. thoughts on that? Cause addiction's not just drugs. We're talking about some, Hardcore things. You, you. What were you addicted to? What was your drug of choice? I think in addict or we always ask that. Yeah. So my DOC drug mm-hmm. of choice was opiates. Okay. I, I would be lying to you if I said I didn't try other narcotics, but they never stuck. In other words, I was that kid. Sure. In like college, I I ate like a marijuana brownie, and I was extremely paranoid. I thought it was stupid. I woke up the next day and I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Right. Sluggish. So yeah, again, that's why I always tell people before when I would kind of dabble or social pressures, because look, it's accessible. Like I think parents are kidding themselves if they don't think their kid is going to be introduced to it. So have that conversation. Oh yeah. Don't be reactive, be proactive. Sit your kid down, have that conversation. But to me, even like with the pain medications that was my DOC, it never became a problem until I had this hurt, right? I had this unfulfilled, unmet need of loss. And I was too cool. I was too tough. I was too proud, Matt, to say, I need help. I need to talk to somebody. Because again, I was Mr. Macho, football player, teacher, coach, blah, 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 right? And so, I always just put on this mask every morning, right? And it was a defense self, self-defense mask. And I'd put on the show and I'd go home. And when it was quiet and my head hit the pillow and there was nothing but me, God, and my thoughts, I would numb. I would, I would numb because I was in pain. I was not happy. So is that kind of. Yeah, no, you, 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 you're so opiums are a huge thing. It's, it's from, I want listeners to understand the different types of opiums. There's the, uh, prescription ones that we talked about, there's uh, heroin falls under opium. Um, and usually when somebody's using prescription, they end up going to that heroin because they want the bigger rush, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but I mean, <laughs> it just sadly, it makes more sense because pain medications, eventually I, my doctor caught on to what I was doing, right? went in, I moved back from Arizona to Utah, went in and saw the doctor and he was like, Hey, these surgeries are years old. You shouldn't be needing this stuff anymore. Good for him. Awesome. Doctor cut me off. However, I wish he would have maybe followed up with, let's get you some kind of help with this. Yeah. Where, where then, are you at with it? Right. Because ultimately by just cold, cold Turkey cutting me off, it almost kind of pushed me into actively buying pain medications, mm-hmm. which I'm ashamed to say, but it's the truth, yeah. which ultimately led to, they were super expensive. So through just, I guess, nature, you realize, Hey, I can either buy an $80 pill or I can buy a $10, you know, thing of heroin, which yeah, sure. a healthy, mentally healthy person goes, you are in quicksand and you're sinking extremely fast. But when you're in the depths of your addiction, all you want to do is be able to get through the day. 
Yeah. So you hit a huge piece that I want the listeners to understand is, is pain causes the addiction sometimes pain of some sort, emotional, physical, uh, mental health issues, whatever it may be for us. I, I think mine was too lost because I lost my father when I was younger. Uh, and so I was looking and seeking that acceptance somewhere. So for me as a short bus kid, I call it the kid that read and write at a fourth grade level. I flunked out of high school, uh, went to homeschool, uh, had a pretty rough time. But I remember that group just accepted me because yeah. it was the hippie group. They didn't care. They were the long haired hip. I, I hate to stereotype, but at that time it was. It was the, yeah. you know, Tiba wearing gun or uh, what is that one little thing sack a gunny sack where you'd kick it around the hack the hacky sack yeah hacky sack there you go yeah. i made up another word <laughs> um but you know i look at this and it, it reminds me of our journeys here and i want to just point this out victor frankl is one of my favorite authors and he said this he said you know if you can't fill the void and i remember my own journey you have to help people find a spark a purpose when they're in addiction or in loss or pain, if you don't get them thinking about something or meaning in life and that adversity. Now, Victor, he had a lot of loss. I mean, he lost his whole family during the Holocaust. Um, he never saw his mom and his dad and his wife and his kids. He, they all got took into camps. So he really taught in his book, how do you find meaning in adversity, right? Yeah. How do we become stronger in emotional resilience and having that bounce back? So. I want you to speak to this, Jared, because a lot of times is what, what helped you fill that void to where you, uh, you've been sober now for how many years? God willing, sixth, this sixth July 3rd. Awesome. Congratulations. And what keeps making you, because you don't wake up in addiction and say, hey, I beat you. You actually wake up and say, hey, how are you this morning, addiction? And you keep them right there because you never think you beat it. You have to be honest with you. Uh, there's a saying we always use, once an addict, always an addict, right? Right. Because um, the addict, um, I'm an ADD kid, so it's really prone in ADD and ADHD kids. Um, and, and it's because we're a little bit more repulsive, right? right. Uh, and we like to adventure and take that risk. So what was it that keeps you on that path? Because this is where working with people, it, it, they always struggle. Because I can give them psychobabble. <laughs> and I can go to, and I'm not saying it's bad, but at the end of the day, if I haven't been down that path, it's hard. You know, the best counselors I found in substance abuse, they've been there or they're just really good. They don't have to always be there, but there's just some geniuses. I don't know if there's like addictionologists that just are, they, I know a really good friend. He's, he's an addictionologist and he's never took drugs in his life, but he just gets it. What do you think on that? Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought that up. With my personal story, I contribute my first two years of sobriety to NAAA, working my steps, having a sponsor, all the things we learn in recovery, taking it one day at a time. However, I found, so I, I was working for an employer and my boss, Bill Weiser, came to me and he said, hey, Jared, we want you to be a part of this leadership training group. We're going to, you know, do, have this book. And he handed me a book, Extreme Ownership. And he said, we're going to discuss a chapter in the book. We're going to talk about it. So make sure you read it the week before. We'll discuss it in on our Friday uh, meetings. And honestly, that was the next gear for me. Because I realized, yeah, sure, I had a couple years of sobriety. But I still had a lot of thinking errors. I still was 
definitely playing the victim card. I still was, you're familiar with King Baby, Queen Baby. I was the captain of King Baby, right? So that book really changed my life. And it made me realize that addiction is the result of thoughts that lead to behaviors. Behaviors turn into habits and habits define our life. That's what I, I believe 100%. So I actually do, when I go out and I, I speak to groups, I'm getting ready to do an event June 6th here in St. George at the Holiday Inn, seven o'clock. It's called The Awakening. And I talk about my four biggest impactful self-help books and how they basically were the result of my personal awakening. So getting back to what you were saying, that's a big part of it is I feel like there isn't a specific model that works for everybody, but you have to be proactive. And the big part of it is like the kids I work with all day long. I listen, you know, I observe their behaviors and a lot of them read super dark books like murder books. And yep. a lot of them listen to gangbanger music or heavy metal or dark, heavy music. I mean, they watch shows. We obviously regulate it, but anytime they can sneak it past a mentor to watch, you know, rated R show or a show that they shouldn't be watching. And I think to myself, no wonder, right? These negative forms of media are constantly being fed into their brain. And so that's why I'm all about, just like with physical health, you've got to get out, you've got to exercise, you've got to eat right to be physically healthy. Same thing with mental health. You've got to, positive I am statements, journaling, daily reflections. I love bullet journaling. That's my thing, right? Because I'm not going to sit and write a novel, but I'll sit and bullet journal at night. Self-reflection reading positive forms of media, listening to powerful, inspiring music, that, that kind of stuff. What are, what is it you're putting in that's manifesting in your life? That's going to give you that, those positive results. Yeah. And I, I think you hit a good concept because a lot of people don't feed their bot, their mind with proper stuff. It's kind of like, I want to get skinny, but I keep eating the Oreo cookies. Right. Right. And right. I, I want to get better. I want to get out of this addiction, but I won't spend time on figuring out what's causing it. And that's where therapy, and I want to go back to that. So uh, you like, you know, that if therapists are listening, we're not discrediting that is that therapy does help um, when it comes to addiction. Like you said, AA groups or going to those groups. And you, in one thing I want to drive home for those that are listening and parents that are having teens, you have to seek help. Um, you can't get through this by yourself. It takes, and that's where I want to ask you, why do, people in recovery always be, they're so big about telling their story. What is that? Because a lot of people get around recovery addicts and those that are truly in recovery, they talk about it all the time. Why is that? Absolutely. And you said something that made me think, if listeners, if you're listening to this and you can identify with the things I talked about with childhood disruption, you know, somebody going, a family member going to prison or substance abuse, or if, man, I hate to say it, but if your child's experienced some kind of child abuse or, or whatever, look, C.S. Lewis said, we can't go back and change the beginning. We can start where we're at and change the ending. Yes. In other words, don't be turned off by this, right? What's happened has happened. But choose to get real about it, accept it, and then like you're saying, pursue some kind of counseling, pursue some kind of mental health uh, support. That's honestly the only way that Otherwise, it's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So get proactive. 
as far as telling your story, I think it's important to tell your story because number one, there's people out there that need to hear it. A lot of times we think I'm the only one that has this problem. We're so by nature, we all are so consumed with our thoughts, our lives, our behaviors, the things that are going on in our world. We don't realize that I hate to say it, but like we're special, but we're not special. You know what I mean? There are tons of people out there that have gone through the exact same thing. Yep. And a lot of times I, I love counselors and, and I love the, the healing that happens in recovery. One thing that I personally struggled with is you're an addict. You're always going to be an addict. That was really heavy for me because it was like, well, then what's the point? Doom and gloom, right? Like what, what's the point? And I wake up every day, Matt, with this freaking boulder in front of me and I have to put known as addiction and I have to push this boulder around everywhere I go. And this boulder sometimes is heavier than others. Like if I walk past a group of people I've used with, that boulder is so heavy because I have triggers, we call them. The thing that is awesome though, is when you can share your story and you get people in those groups that say, yeah, I've been through what you've gone through. Wait, just get a year. If you can get a year. Did you know people that are in active addiction when they first started in recovery, they're 70% more likely to relapse if they have under a year, 365 days clean, 70%. But if they can go into a place and hear somebody say, I've I've got multiple years clean, you can do it, right? Not Sure, you might always be an addict. You might be something you struggle with for the rest of your life. You might wake up every day pushing that boulder around, but mine's no longer a boulder. And I can't tell you, Matt and listeners, I can't tell you whether that boulder gets smaller or we get stronger, but I can tell you this, for me personally, coming up on five plus years, knocking at the door at six, mine's more like a soccer ball. I wake up every day and I kick the soccer ball around everywhere I go because I'll stay and I'll always have it. But I also know I have a lot of friends in recovery and I know people that have multiple, I mean, multiple decades. And for them, it's like, a, it's like a golf ball or a tennis ball. They still have it, but it's manageable. You know, they've, they've, gotten stronger they've created ways to be able to make it so it doesn't feel like a boulder every morning does that make sense oh it does and i love the analogy and i hope listeners are hearing that because you gave it what it feels like to to be addicted to something and and being in recovery as well is it slowly shrinks right and but it's still there and we just got to be aware of it but it's also just making sure when you have those moments you can reach out to somebody you have somebody just on your speed dial hey i'm I had a really big trigger today. I'm feeling it. Can we, can we process it? And once you have that process, you're good, right? Because you've yeah. learned to emotionally, uh, emotionally um, reject those feelings. When we were in the addiction, we learned just to dive right in and numb them, right? right. So we numb out. You know, and this is the thing I want to just ask too, as you tell this story, I know being around people, when I've told the story, they're like, no way, or they look at me different or they look at me uh, in a way that's funny. You know, when you, when you get into different groups, have you ever shared the story where you felt like they didn't welcome you after that, being an addict, because they've never had that experience? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. You, you look like a well-presented guy, so you show up and you're like, hey, I was an ex-heroin addict. This is my story. Now I'm an I'm a entrepreneur and a business owner. And they still, do you feel like they don't accept you? Absolutely. Yeah. 
I, there's been times that people have treated me one way. I feel like I've had their admiration and their respect. And then they find out the real Jared, right? Like the things I've been through, the things I promote because in, in recovery with NANA, a lot of it's anonymity. Mm -hmm. And I personally met with a religious leader. And at the time I said, Hey, you know, I was still in the victim mentality. Yeah. I said, why did all this happen to me? Why did I have to go through this? And he said something that completely changed the anonymity thing for me forever. He said, you know, Jared, what happens if you get to the other side, you meet your maker, and he says to you, you made it over that challenge. You made it through that, right? How many people did you bring along with you, though? Yeah. And that complete, from that day forward, I was like, and he also said to me, stop looking at this as, as a, a curse. This is a gift. You have a gift. The, the biggest prodigal sons become the biggest saviors. Because um, at the end of the day, um, those that have been through it, they, they have more drive. And that's why I have you on the show is that you're a purpose-driven person. You have a purpose and a mission, right? And, Absolutely. And I agree with that. I think you're going to change more. You are. You're changing young lives right now. You're molding these young men to, if you, in my theory, and I work with youth as well, if we can save one, we save it a generation. I've learned out of 10, I might not get all 10, but if I can just save one, I've saved a whole generation. And that's how I've had to relook at it. And, uh, and you see that, you know, and, and the big thing, and the reason I ask you that, um, if you have been treated different, now I want people to understand this. Addiction's just not heroin. It's just not big drugs that we hear about, like cocaine and uh, other ones. Uh, even ones that have been legalized now. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and and we won't jump into that just for opinion's sake. But um, but what I want to ask you is that what are other addictions? So th those in the room judging and those that don't have the experience, maybe they're not judging. Maybe they just don't know how to deal with it. Like when we see a person in a wheelchair. So I dealt with kids with physical and emotional disabilities and and intellectual. And I'm one of those kids with intellectual and then I'd see physical and I loved it, man. I, my life changed when I'd meet these kids in wheelchairs and they'd say, Mr. Matt, I just want to be normal. And I says, why do you want to be normal? You know, and I'd tell them the same thing. I says, you're, you have a gift to help people be more empathetic. And so we'd walk through it. I, I remember a girl it was in California when I spoke and she came and she was the smartest kid, like almost Stephen Hawkins. And she was in a wheelchair just like him. And, and she just wanted people to treat her normally. And, and we do it. Think about that. When somebody walks and you see them in the wheelchair, you're like, do I move? How do I react? Um, do I tell them that, hey, something's wrong with you? Can I ask you how you lost your arm? Um, I have a buddy that was a Marine that was blowing up and he goes around and speaks. His name's Bobby. He's a comedian. And he, he laughs, you know, he, he'll walk into Starbucks and the kid will say, mommy, he's burnt because he's burnt over 90% of his body. He he, and uh, he, he's turned it into a way to let people talk about it yeah. uh, because it's that. And this is the thing. Let's talk about addictions in a different way to kind of sum it up and bring it to an end. What other addictions do we face as people nowadays in society? I love it. I love you bring that up. So I, I tell that story about my anonymity uh -huh. to, to go to get right into this. It's funny because yes, there are people out there and I don't think that they purposely like are judging. I just yeah. think that because they haven't walked the same path I've walked, they don't know how 
Correct. Handle it, right? They, they, it's like this awkward. But the funny thing to me is, Matt, is those same people, when they have a loved one, a child, a brother, a cousin. Who do they? Right? Yeah. Yes. Guess who they reach out to? Yeah. Right? And it, it's, I love it because I'll say to a lot of families that I talk to, I hear this a lot. You know, so-and-so just, they grew up, they were a great kid, and then they just got involved in this, or a lot of it's this. They, get, they got involved with the wrong people because it's never their fault, right? It's always somebody else's. And they said, and now they have this addiction thing, which I don't understand. I, I, I just don't know why they choose this drug over their family, over their loved ones. And I very nicely smile and I'll say, be careful, be careful. How many of us are addicted to fast food? How many of us are addicted to that Diet Coke? How many of us are addicted to social media? How many of us are, if you left home on your way to work, you got to work, or maybe you're five minutes from work. I promise you almost every single one of us, if we forgot our phone, oh, yeah. turn around and head right back to our house and we would get our phone because we, we have to have it. And if you think about it, sure. Are we getting a little nitpicky here? Absolutely. But what I'm trying to point out is it doesn't take very much for you to have empathy towards somebody with an addiction. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that you can't take a look at your own life and go, you know what? If they came out tomorrow and said, I had to stop getting on social media, or I had to turn in my cell phone because it causes cancer, or I had to stop drinking my Diet Coke or my fast food, or look, a year ago I was 300 pounds, right? Like I definitely switched one addiction to Ben and Jerry's. You know what I mean? And, and sadly, I've learned this concept through my own, you know, through, through looking at my own behaviors. So what I'm trying to say is there are definitely a lot of different addictions out there, you know, porn, gaming, but will some of them kill you faster than others? Absolutely. Are some of them illegal? Absolutely. The difference is we have two different groups here. We have socially acceptable addictions yeah. and we have non-socially acceptable addictions. And I'm not saying one, you know, obviously, like I said, some will kill you faster. Some are a bit more extreme. They're definitely going to drain your life span a lot quicker. The point I'm trying to make is this. You can find empathy. Anybody can find empathy for people in active addiction. And unless you find empathy and you find a way to connect, that addict truly is on, they have no life raft. They have no lifeline. They have no way to be reeled back in to healthy relationships. So sadly, a lot of us have to choose to be the leader and step out and go to that act and say, I understand. I don't agree with the choices you're making, but I still love you. And I understand. Help me help you. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I think is once we learn, and you mentioned something I love that R Renee Brown teaches. Renee Brown teaches empathy versus sympathy. If we can learn to have empathy and be vulnerable, you know, true vulnerability, but not sympathy. People forget the two. If sympathetic would be, man, that's got to suck. I don't, I would never do that. I don't know why you would do that. That's, that's showing sympathy, right? Yeah. Like, or, or the, at least, well, yeah. at least, at least you're okay. And, right. and empathy looks more like, Hey, how, like you just said at the end, 
hey, I love you. How can I help you? I, I, I don't understand it. I've never used drugs, but I'm here for you. And, then, and thinking of something that might recognize of being in pain to try to get to that place with you and show that empathy, because that's really truly what human beings is. And you quoted C.S. Lewis earlier. It's we become human doings instead of human beings, and human beings are emotional. And to have emotions is to show vulnerability, to really truly be vulnerable. And that means to be okay, to be not okay. And all human beings are not okay. I don't care how great you think you are. Even, even the great Tony Robbins, he has his own issues we probably don't even know about. He probably eats Ben and Jerry's and then he has to go work out or something, some secret. Everybody, even the great ones that we idolize have their issues, right? but a lot of them won't show that vulnerability because of that facade, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that's where I want to write kind of end on here is I want you to drive it home, share a little about three things that people can do. I know addiction is on a high right now with the pandemic, people being at the home. Um, we've seen it record high with uh, being in the mental health industry. A lot of things are going on, suicides up, um, domestic violence, all those things. Uh, what would be some advice you can leave with him? And then the last thing I want you to end on is why is it important to continue to learn uh, for people? So what's some advice with this pandemic stuff going on with addictions? And then why do you think it's so important to continue to learn? As far as the pandemic thing going, it's funny to me because it really emphasizes and shows how much human interaction and relationships mean to people. So I think that with the rise of substance abuse, you know, suicides, things like that, look, you don't always have to be in person to reach out to somebody. We all have these cell phones we carry around. And a lot of times it's just, if you think of somebody, call them, let them know you're thinking about them. Let them know you care, you know, be able to reach out and FaceTime is a, very popular thing right now. I mean, we're on a zoom, you know, what I mean? there's, there's several different ways. So stop with the excuses, right? Let's get some human connection going, reach out, even just to shoot the breeze with people. The opposite of addiction is human connection. I, I heard that on a Ted talk and that totally resonated with me. And I believe that hundred percent also, like you're saying, and I've said it before, the best defense is a good offense. Instead of, you know, thinking, I always tell people in recovery, don't think, oh, I can't do drugs. I can't do drugs. I can't do drugs. Be pro, be pro recovery. Think, okay, I've got to, you know, get to a meeting or what's a good self-help book or what's some positive forms of, of media that I can listen to and, and fill my head with some positive things. What do I want to do career wise? Basically set up some goals and some things like that. So that, yeah, that's kind of would be my takeaway or my wrap up is get active, get out there challenge yourself, do something different that you maybe reading. I was never a good reader. I have dyslexia where the number, where the letters run away from me as I try to read them. They're on the go. Right. For a long time, I use that as an excuse. Like, well, I don't read. Reading's dumb. Reading's stupid. And guess what? Now I read, I've read dozens and dozens of self-help books. I love reading. I will admit I, I do use audible, which is fantastic. My favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times though, I'm super, uh, I guess, super corny. I'll, I'll buy the book, but then I'll also listen to Audible and highlight the sections that I like yep. for references or to go back and listen. So challenge yourself. If you're sitting here listening going, well, that's dumb, that's dorky. I don't do that. That's not me. Says who? 
What false belief are you holding on to? And why would you not want to increase your knowledge? Why would you not want to become aware? Whoever writes these books are basically telling you years and years of experience. It's like I had somebody say to me one time when I approached them about going and talking at a recovery center, they said, why would I pay you to come in and talk to my clients? I can get NANA people to come tell their stories all day long. And I say this, I say, because I do more than drug journal, right? I have these books. I have these positive forms of media that I can come in and introduce to these people and give them the concepts, give them the principles that they can use and take away from. Or you can buy four different books for 30 clients and hope that they read them. I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? What I, I share that because anytime you pick up a book and you read it, like I have the book, The People Code, right in front of me. I absolutely love it. Uh, Taylor Hartman. And that book, imagine all the research that has gone into this thing. Mm-hmm. Imagine all the test groups, study groups. I mean, it's crazy. And you have access to it to gain all that knowledge. You get the takeaway. You don't have to do the years and years and years of, of studying it. Why wouldn't you want that? You know, in the saying it, I always learned as I've done this podcast, purpose-driven people are readers. They're always looking to improve. There's a trend among them. People that are trying to find or develop or create their purpose. Uh, As you said, leaders are readers, right? That's a saying I've heard from one of those great people that just push it. And I, I always want to encourage people at the end of the show is that the best way is to go research it, look for it. Um, it's good to ask advice, but you got to be careful with advice and opinions because everybody's going to give free advice on the corner. And we always have that friend that's going to tell you everything that you should ought to do. Right. Right. And, um, and they'll, they'll show that sympathy that we talked about earlier. Right. Well, I can't believe you would do it in the first place, but if it was me, here's what I do. Right. (laughs) And so we got to be careful, but I'm so excited to have you on the show. Tell us where they can find you, where they can go uh, book you for an interview or whatever, or just speaking. And, you know, speaking's kind of down right now, but it's going to come back up. And I think it's even more important to have speakers out there for people because uh, we're going to need some morale boost in the world uh, to get us back into full function. So where can they find you? Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. So you can find me, of course, on social media. I'm on all social media platforms, uh, Miller Motivation Group. Also, Jared Roy Miller is my personal page. Uh, you, we have a website, millermotivationgroup.com. You can contact us through there. We have events posted for the different speakers. Shoot me, a, you know, shoot me an email through there. It has my contact, my personal contact, my, my work cell, cell phone number. Yeah. And look, I don't just do like speaking and, and I mean, I'm also on rayvip.com. I have people all the time that'll book 30 or 60 minute sessions with me, ask me questions on how they can get through to a family member, get through to right somebody that's struggling with self-harming, suicide prevention, substance abuse. A lot of times that'll end up, look, I'm a people person. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody reach out and they pull on my heartstrings and I'll end up meeting with that family member, meeting with the person. So sure. They pay initially to, to talk to me about it. I give them some ideas. If it doesn't work out, I show up, I show up at the house and I have a conversation with them. And I'm not saying I'm, I have a hundred percent closing rate on getting people that need help into help. Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to say is, is at the end of the day, I'm passionate about this thing. I don't do it for the money. I do it because I want to change affect, change lives and affect people. So 
definitely reach out. doesn't really matter which way. Get a hold of me. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it, man. I love this. And so if you're listening, Jared Miller, go find him. I would look for him. Even if you're not in addiction, he has tons of say. He has a lot of wisdom. If you're a parent looking to help with kids, it doesn't matter. Um, but he just has a great story. And if you want to hire him for your corporation, I'd encourage it because he can motivate people. He can move your staff. He can also help them understand goal setting because he's done it in his own life. And so thanks, Jared, for being on here. We're going to have you back. We like to continue to always talk about this subject because this is something that people need to understand. Um, go to our Facebook, like us, also follow us on YouTube and also iTunes. You can go there, go to the website and you can get a free download. Make sure you go to our website and check it out and subscribe and we'll give you a free download. That's our gift for listening to the Purpose Driven Person show. So thank you again and we look forward to seeing you again. And always remember guys, don't give up on yourself and those around you. Continue to be you. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Person podcast. Something I said today resonated with you. Head over to my website. I would love to give you a free gift to download, but you can also email me at purposedrivenperson at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And remember guys, always continue to push your dreams and never give up. I'll see you next time. Take care.